Welcome to Vital Talk, Vital Tech's podcast. I'm with founder Sean Vitale. I'm Scott Rude. This is our effort to help anyone out there that wants to use technology to their advantage. Today's episode is the coronavirus. We choose our topics based on the feedback and needs, urgent or otherwise, to our clients, our partners, associates, anybody that wants to listen, we're here to help. And obviously, this is a huge deal right now uh, globally, and we're going to discuss it. And the main reason we feel this is so essential from a tech standpoint, Sean, is because from corporations all the way down, working remotely is becoming either an encouraged practice or a mandate, and technology can be your greatest aid. Yeah, um, working remotely has actually been going on for for quite some time, and uh, there's a there's a of course in technology we always create words for everything. Um, it's called distributed workforce, and there's a million benefits that we don't have to go over right now. But companies like Automatic that own WordPress have I think about ninety don't quote me on this, but ninety percent of their workforce. Um, completely remote all throughout the entire world, so not just the nation. Uh, local company base camp here. I was listening to a podcast the other day with Jason Fried. And, uh, he referenced or mentioned in the podcast that um, once their lease is up, they're going to go completely remote. Um, so this is kind of applicable towards that as well. It's, it's obviously important for coronavirus. And yeah, that's what we'll kind of talk about today. It's an eye-opener in general. There are thousands of deaths globally, uh, less than 100 in America. But it, from this tech standpoint and the workplace standpoint, it's eye-opening on forcing people, forcing their hand to operate on a day-to-day more. And after the fact, as... You know, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, has said, I could see us not going back. The fact that, as we believe, our data would support that work productivity will not diminish that much across the board. And it will, uh, I think, at least encourage business leaders to consider if working remotely can start becoming the standard. Or... A benefit, a perk, um, a partial benefit, a partial perk for some people. We consider it here. So at Vital Tech, we have a couple offices now. We have the Nashville office and we have a client that has some presence there. And we basically had to expand our, our, our feet on the street, if you will, to, to Nashville. Um, so we had to. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't you know, expand and, and get a huge office. We can't. You know, the client or us is—it's silly to pay economically for for flights and travel costs associated with it. So sometimes you're just forced into it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of good information I think that can be taken away from today, and we'll we'll try and focus specifically on how it relates to to the coronavirus. Before we get started, we should probably mention uh, a very nice email from a gentleman that uh, that reached out to us and, and gave us some really good feedback on the podcast. So- Shout out to Brett Baton Rouge's own, and he works in the tech world. He's an advocate for managed service providers, so MSPs, managed IT. Uh, as he does mostly project work, 
you know, we come across it all the time. We're obviously an advocate for managed IT. We feel like you get uh, a, the robust services from the CIO level all the way down to comprehensive help desk for a fraction of the cost of one internal IT person. And he was a big advocate for that. He's a lover of podcasts. And that's really the whole point. And you got to start somewhere. He's a huge proponent of what we're doing. And this is obviously just an extension of the ethos of Vital Tech, IT Made Human. But we do this because we care. And it's really important, I think, with your expertise to shed light on things that whether people like it or not, technology is going to be, it is and will only continue to grow as an essential part of your day-to-day. So thanks for reaching out. We Thank really, you, Brett. Yeah, Brett, the feedback is, is fantastic. And I know we kind of fell off for a little bit there, um, just focusing on some other initiatives, yes. I guess. But we're- yeah, well, and, that's, and, and that's okay. I think that what we want to do is we want the industry to dictate it. We do want the consumer needs to dictate this. And obviously, he wanted us to just do more content in general. But I don't think we want to uh, force feed topics that aren't as irrelevant uh, aren't as relevant so brett spadell thank you very much keep listening spread the word and we're grateful because we know that this is gonna we truly know that what we're talking about can help people nice all right let's get into it coronavirus if it's okay and i know that and i would hope most people at this point would know kind of what it is it is a virus that uh was detected in the Hubei province in China, and it had a lot to do with it spreading from their live animal market. And they think that Agent Zero was bats. And this is not uncommon, unfortunately, because of them having more lax uh, food regulation uh, in China and other Southeast nations. This is what's happening. Um, And it is spread. It is definitely at the level of pandemic. And it's gone to over 80 nations, Italy, China in particular. And it has affected America. In terms of the statistics, before Sean starts getting into the tangible advice to what we do, what matters to you, we have over 117,000 infected. This is as of the 10th of March of 2020. Fortunately, more than half of them have already been recovered. So it is, t- it is something that right now can be properly cared for. There have been over 4,000 deaths as it pertains to America, 27 fatalities. And as of right now, still active, 730 cases in the United States. The John Hopkins um, interactive real-time map is, is a good yes. resource for me as I kind of look at my travel plans. I agree. So. John Hopkins is doing wonderful research. There are a number of websites that are taking the most reputable sources and calculating them real time. You can Google, you know, live updated coronavirus data and you can get it up to the minute. I would recommend the World Health Organization yep. and CDC. Yep, for sure. All good resources. All right. Now, as it pertains to our discussion. Hold on. I got to just check oh, yeah, no, really it. quickly. Hit it. So just as far as actions, and I know everyone knows this already, but it's really simple. Can we all just please wash our hands? Oh, all right. Dr. Oz. I, I just want people to start. I, I'm, a, I'm a neat freak for those of you that know me. probably And understand. a father of a one-year-old daughter. And yes, and a father of a one-year-old daughter. And it's 
it's the most simple task. So you don't have to go out and spend a ton of money, especially nowadays on, on hand sanitizer. Just get a bottle of soap and running water and wash your hands, you know, half a Shortage of hand sanitizer. There are bottles out there for $70 on Amazon right now. It's crazy. It is. And, you know, scary things or sad things, unfortunately, sometimes have to remind us of the simple behavior that is required. Nurses or doctors forever have been able to tell you every time you go use the restroom, it's a great excuse. Wash your hands, sing happy birthday twice, then you know you're done. Haven't heard the happy birthday. Thing. Yeah, two happy birthdays. Okay, cool. Good to know. You can do the same thing with brushing your teeth. I would go longer <laughs> with that, but this is not a hygiene podcast. No, not at all. Sorry, I just had to no, throw that out. No, there. it's very important. No, like because I think we're <laughs> wash going your to- hands, sneeze in your shirt, and honestly, this thing will probably go away real quick. <laughs> right. It's and this is an extension because our clients, our partners, our business professionals, for the most part, nearly all, in an office place. Right, whether they have servers and their cloud and their workstations, uh, it's an environment that is at risk. It's entered Chicago. The bright, the vast majority of our partners are in Chicago, and this is applicable to any major city. And that's why right now the, the largest uh, caution is not just metropolitan areas, but any events. Of high population, right? Yeah. You're having a lot of organizations and sporting events. South by Southwest was canceled. Southwest, Southwest was canceled. The the, uh, the the metro area of San Jose right now has instituted a policy as of the 10th of March, where uh, they are deregulating and de- are disallowing any activity exceeding a thousand people. And so large events, yeah. they may still, that, that have some type of uh, result orientation to them, they are now strongly considering sporting events in particular. That's what's bringing a lot of congregation. But in those instances, they are strongly considering having these events played without an audience. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a numbers game. Yeah. Right. And technology has simplified the world to try to do things at an exponential level. As it pertains to you listeners, how can you do your job at the same ability if all of a sudden you're not necessarily quarantined, but you're encouraged to kind of keep to yourself? And that's one thing I want to talk about to start in with your expertise, Sean, is is the idea of how is it affecting the company workplace? And the answer, which I find very pertinent to this discussion, is that the two previous pandemic threats, H1N1 and SARS, technology had a very different influence in the world at that time. People had computers, there were servers, cloud was still a novel concept. However, the idea of working remotely is far more common since those uh, pandemics roughly 10 to 15 years ago. So. As we try to help our partners maximize their work and their business through technology, how would you describe the biggest benefits and changes to being able to work remotely because of IT? Yeah. So let's kind of paint a picture really quickly of what's happening here. And keep in mind, sorry, I'm backing up just a quick sec. So the, the businesses that 
the types of businesses that are being affected by this, I'd say, you know, in relation to this podcast are probably the majority professional services. So like there's, and what I mean by that is the scenario of, okay, um, you know, Chicago has an actual pandemic, an epidemic, and it's, and this is just a scenario. Um, it's obviously not reality right now. <laughs> have to clarify that. Um, so there's, there's, there's the epidemic in Chicago. Everyone's staying home. No one should be going outside or it should be your time outside or leaving home should be very limited. Um, so that that's encouraged by, by the city, by the government, whatever. Um, so that's kind of the scenario and the businesses that are affected. I, all businesses are affected by this, but you know, I think this podcast mostly pertains to those professional services businesses. So if you're, you're an airline industry, obviously, you know, people need to be in an airplane, um, that people congregating there, you need people to fly the airplanes. They, they can't work from home manufacturing. If you make a physical product, um, you get the idea hotels. There's, there's a lot of different industries to that, you know, can't use all this information and I, I guess can't completely function as a business without leaving their homes. Um, but, hopefully there's information in this podcast that can still pertain to you, the back end office, the administration, um, to, to keep the business complete, not completely, but running without completely shutting down within itself. Um, so yeah, how are things affected? And before I even dig in, just know that this is completely doable. Um, there's, there's, you know, there is an element of change with working remotely, but our, IT, the IT services available now have never made it easier to work from home. And again, that's coming firsthand from a company that was, uh, that had to expand in order to retain a client and hire a remote work employee. So just know that this is completely doable. It does take change. It, 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 um, I would encourage collaboration and feedback as much as possible, and it'll probably change some of the behaviors and, um, you know, sort of internal processes that you have, but, but it's totally doable. Businesses do make those changes on a day-to-day -day basis anyways. Um, so let's kind of dig in, the, you know, the first thing you want to do, and, and let's dig in how this will relate to an environment. So what I'm going to kind of do is talk about some sort of planning, if you will, sort of high level. And then I even want to dig into on some of the services and talk about, just propose some questions on how they should be affected. Um, talk about some solutions that can help uh, resolve the potential problems or, you know, help ease the change, I guess is a better way to put it. So the first thing you want to do is, is you probably want to write a business continuity plan. This is a little bit of a DR plan. Uh, you could call it a pandemic business continuity plan, an epidemic business continuity plan, whatever it is, it, it's all related to business continuity and working remotely. The two are, are very closely related nowadays. Um, so first thing you want to do is just identify any critical IT services that are in the environment. So what do you need to keep your environment running? So here at Vitaltech, we need to have our solution that allows us to connect to computers remotely. We need, if we can't do that, we can't work. We can't service our customers. If we, um, we need our phones to work. If people can't call us, then we don't know they're having issues. We can't communicate with them. Um, same thing with email, you kind of get the point. So identify those services um, and this could obviously change based on any business, but then also identify the associated users of those services and the association part, we'll talk a little bit of, of security kind of at the end, 
uh, but that's probably just as important um, because you need to understand who's using what functions in your environment. And, um, you know, for real small businesses, probably everyone and anyone, but as you get a little bit larger, obviously things, um, as you scale, uh, they become a little bit more segmented. So, um, the next thing you want to do is, so now you, you kind of have your arms around what's important to the business as far as IT services and who's using those IT services, what groups of people are using those IT services. Then I think it's important to identify roles and responsibilities. And what I mean by that is specifically who's communicating what and when. So if I were, if, if we were to actually live through, you know, a pandemic in Chicago, Scott and his sales team, Scott should be the one communicating to the sales team. Okay. We've planned, we've talked about services. You know what you're going to, how you're going to work from home. Um, you have a general understanding of guidelines. Go, go work from home. Stop coming in the office. So assign those people. And the reason that's important because if you're in manufacturing, if you know, you have a delivery business, obviously you can't have everyone go work from home. So you need to, to just assign those roles, responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities should be communication. And, when, and you know, obviously if there's, if you're big enough, you have an executive team, you decide when all this happens. Um, who's monitoring the status. So you don't want, you know, multiple people making different decisions and some people, some departments sending employees home while others aren't. Um, you you kind of want to make sure the company in general is on the same page. So there should be one person looking at the websites we just previously mentioned, John Hopkins, World Health Organization, CDC, um, you know, a lot of different websites. You can basically Google coronavirus and get thousands of them. Um, who's monitoring that status and then, you know, obviously let whoever is going to be communicating know when we should be working remotely. Um, next is it's not just internally. This is important as well. So who's communicating to vendors and clients? So we at Vitaltech have uh, a ton of security partners. We have just partners in general, backups, antivirus, um, you know, multi-factor authentication, um, hosted voice solutions. There's a lot of vendors, whether they're sales or operationally. Um, there's a lot of partners we work with. There's obviously a lot of customers that we work with, customers and clients. Um, a communication probably has to be sent out to them just to notify, hey, this department is kind of working in distributed fashion. So I just wanted to make you aware. And then obviously you can leave that vague or get as specific as you want as to how that might impact the relationship or the communication you have with them. Um, and again, we'll dig into some of these services like, you know, what do you specifically do with email? How can it change communication? Things like that. Um, so now you basically know what services, you know, who's responsible for what. Um, you will talk a little bit more about this again as well, but you need to identify support and the contingency plan for the on-prem hardware. You need to prioritize those IT services. Um, because not all the services will be available. Again, we'll dig into this as we talk about how that relates to on-prem hardware, on-prem hardware, you know, as it might become unavailable if there's an issue and no one can get in the office to fix it. Um, assume flexible work arrangements. You're, this is, you know, as a business owner, I think this one's particularly a little hard and that's why it's important to plan for this, just have a discussion beforehand, but, you're going to have to be flexible with people as they work from home. 
Um, and you're going to have to just start getting comfortable with that. Otherwise, they just won't be able to work. Um, talk about the change and impact on the culture. So before the even, you know, assuming the flexible work, work arrangements, you should meet with your team and talk about what the change is like. Right now in our office, we have, you know, sort of a pod, if you will, of people that answer phone and help with requests, email and phone requests on a day-to-day -day basis. And if they have a question, they just look up and start asking people, uh, you know, their neighbor how to do that. That's obviously going to change. That might impact the culture. We have music playing in the office. Um, we like to laugh and have fun with each other. How, how will this impact the culture? Can you actually try to retain some of that culture um, through technical tools? And we'll, we'll talk about that as well, but that's important. Um, okay, first and foremost, you should also look at IT services for what people have in their homes. And this kind of needs to be validated. So obviously everyone's gonna need internet, that's first and foremost. Do they need printing? How much power do they need? Hopefully just a standard outlet um, is sufficient. Uh, what kind of phone service do they have? Do they have good cell service? If not, do you need to set up sort of a hosted solution? Um, there's remote call forwarding solutions like Grasshopper. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of a lot different of options, options, but. I guess I would guess suggest, I would suggest as part of the remote work program, program or in preparation, preparation for the business continuity, continuity plan, plan, come up with a document and in that document outline the sort of standards that you would expect in somebody's home. Because if someone doesn't have internet, obviously they're not going to be able to work. Or if their internet doesn't have a certain speed requirement, um, that's going to make things a lot harder as well. And we'll, we'll kind of dig into this a little bit more too. All right, so we dig into the specific services, email, phone, all this stuff's affected? Yes, I think that the people that listen, what they care about is, okay, I need to work from home. What is everything I need from resources to ensure that I'm Mac, I am getting everything out of my work as if I was in the office? Yeah, so you have a plan, you've communicated, you have your responsibilities outlined, you've thought about how this is going to affect communication and culture. Now what do you do with these specific services? So hopefully as you went through your IT services that the business depends on, you categorize them. And for just purposes of making this podcast somewhat simple, I came up with a couple categories that we'll talk about, high demand services and low demand services. So what I want to do is talk through each one of those services and then ask, pose some questions that I think should be thought about uh, when considering how to use those services remotely or how you, the employees uh, should use those services remotely. Um, and then also obviously talk about some solutions that, that can help uh, provide those services while we're remotely. Uh, so email. Email's going to be one of the first things that you know, I imagine most businesses think about. You have to continue communicating with each other. You have to continue communicating with clients, partners, vendors. We just talked about that. Um, what should you do with email? I would suggest setting up a disclaimer maybe for all outbound messages um, and you know, obviously change maybe the font or the color of that disclaimer. Again, just to notify people that your company is working remotely. Um, this is a change. It's, it's that kind of transparency that I think helps with, you know, I'll say maintaining the relationship and just um, allowing 
you know, not a, otherwise it'd be a white elephant in the room, right? Like if you're, if, if clients don't know that we're all working remotely, like, oh, can you just turn over and talk to Tracy? Can you just go ask Scott a question? So just having that sort of disclaimer and all of our messages, I think, is helpful. Um, is your email accessible remotely? If you have an on-prem exchange server, man, I hope for the most part all businesses have their email. Uh, I don't know any. None of our clients certainly don't. That don't have it accessible, but some, um, I can see some business owners that still might not want, might not have their email accessible remotely. Um, is it though? Do you have Outlook web access? Do you have you know a web interface that people can log into to access their email and, and, and respond? Um, you might have policies in place for certain users who you want you don't want working outside the office, and those users um, you know don't therefore don't have access to web-based email while outside the office. So review those policies and you know determine whether or not those users should be working in email and therefore then if they should have access to email, uh, you know, via website as well. How do you know the users, what's the interface to the users is a good question. Is it just web? Do they just log into a website? Is that effective? Is it efficient? You're going to, those two points are probably going to come up a lot on here. How, you know, is it changing sort of the workflow of how people work? Um, or is it client-based? So obviously the most common email client is Outlook out there right now. Um, us being pretty lucky with our IT company, we would just make sure that, uh, and because we have an Office 365 subscription that includes Microsoft Office, everyone would just install Microsoft Office on their home computers. Um, and that would include Outlook and, and launching Outlook and sort of configuring to connect to email. If not, if that task, so that's easy for us, right? I can tell Tracy, I can tell Scott, I tell Mike, I can tell Douglas or Paul or Jordan or whoever, um, just go home, install Office and and start, you know, and configure Outlook and, and start working. If not, you need instructions for something like that. And we, we actually, we are big fans of GIFs here, uh, GIFs, so that uh, it's sort of a video recording that it's sort of a longer one that you can just send out to people and it gives them quick step-by-step -step instructions on how to do it, but uh, you might want to consider that. So if you don't, so if, you don't um, um, if you don't have, you don't have email accessible email remotely, and again, and imagine almost everyone does. Some obviously the popular solutions out there right now are 365 and Google Apps. There's a lot of benefits to those other than email, but they're probably the two most prominent. Um, I don't want to say probably they are the two most prominent email solutions out there. All right, phones. Um, so what do you do with phones? First of all. Do you have an on-prem phone system? Uh, for those of you who don't know what on-prem is, they're just literally referring to you know physical equipment that sits on site, specifically dedicated to making and receiving phone calls. Um, if you do have on-prem phone systems, is it does it have the capability or functionality to allow users to bring a phone home and connect to it remotely? Um, is it important that you have that does it you know does the outbound caller id is that incredibly important to your business um is four digit dialing so common that you it would be incredibly inefficient to not have it so thinking about those things if you have an on-prem phone system um do you need to change your voicemail greetings on your phone system so that people know that you're working remotely and maybe your voicemails are emailed to you if, if you do have an on-prem and it, you're not allowed, sorry, you don't have the functionality to connect a phone at home, 
um, maybe you should set up that voicemail kind of like the email disclaimer so that people know that the voicemail is emailed to you, but to continue leaving the voicemails because you are actually receiving them. Obviously, that assumes that you have the functionality of having your emails, your voicemails emailed to you. Um, we like soft phones here at Vital Tech. It's great. Soft phones are cloud-based phone solutions. Um, what they provide you, the, they provide you the benefit of basically launching your phone system from your computer, connecting a headset to your computer, and making phone calls from anywhere. So, I could literally call Scott at ten o'clock at night from home while he's home, whether his computer's booted up or not. Um, another benefit of having a soft phone is you don't necessarily need a computer to answer the phone calls. You can actually have an app. Uh, most popular uh, cloud-based phone solutions have apps on their phones, uh, mobile devices that will allow them to make and receive phone Rattle calls. Rattle off the most common ones. 8x8, um, RingCentral, uh, Mitel. Um, those are pretty big popular vendors out there right now. Okay. Um, and this is hosted voice for those of you that it's, I guess that's kind of the common term for it. So what's nice about the soft phones is you can work literally anywhere. I can dial a four digit extension to Scott at any time of night. And if his computer's up, it'll ring on his computer and grabs his headset, answers it, or it'll ring on the app. It'll launch the app on his phone and ring it and he can call that way. This solves the need for the outbound caller ID. It solves the need to prevent any call forwarding. Um, hopefully everyone gets the point. It's uh, soft phones are, are they provide a lot of functionality. They've come a long way for quite a bit of time. The um, the service, the voice, you know, quality wasn't the greatest, but again, they've come a long way. These are publicly traded companies that I just referenced, so uh, they kind of have to have pretty good service there. Files. Um, every business has shared files that they work in and out of PowerPoint presentations, Word documents, Excel documents, PDF documents, so on and so forth. How are your files currently accessed and can they be accessible remotely? Do they need to be accessible remotely? Um, luckily, our files are, are stored in the cloud. If your files are stored on you know, on-prem servers, similar to a phone system where they're literally residing on servers that are sitting in a server room somewhere, do you have VPN? And we'll talk a little bit about VPN configured on the computers and available to users outside the office so that they can connect to these shared files and, and access them. If not, do you need to move some of these files? So while you're assessing you know, the needs of each IT service, you can kind of drill a little bit deeper and get granular on whether or not you actually need these files accessible remotely or can you live, can the business survive a period of time without them? People that don't have robust cloud services and all of a sudden they're instituting remote work for the workers, how does it affect them? I mean, in terms of, in terms of, would you would you encourage them to enhance their cloud services? Yeah, this yeah, this whole discussion we're gonna right, we're gonna allude to cloud quite a bit. We're I think so. To yeah, a lot of externally hosted services. Yes, and it, it enables businesses to have a distributed workforce. So right, strongly either encourage looking at cloud solutions or just making sure you know there's private clouds. You can have your own cloud. Just make sure that you're environment itself what percentage of our partners uh on-prem versus cloud yeah it's a good question i'm familiar with the the customers oh, like ballpark today. what would you say right now you know, 50 to 75 percent are probably in the cloud yep 25 
to 50% are have some on-prem. There's a, there's a hybrid of it. So we have some, sure. a lot, the majority of our clients have email in 365, right? And that's considered a cloud solution, but right. there's a significant number of our clients that still have shared files sitting on a server somewhere. And our recommendation, if justified, is to have both. It's whatever works best for the business. Okay. It really is. Okay. So um, I can get kind of specific with there. We like SharePoint, for example, for our files because SharePoint's accessible from mobile devices, multiple computers, a web browser, and any computer it makes accessing them very easily. Something available within Microsoft 365 and probably would be, I think, um, an essential tool working remotely in the interim and probably moving forward. Yeah, so SharePoint document libraries are a great tool for that. Some of our customers that are in the architecture business, they work in AutoCAD files, really, really big files. And when you're dealing with you know, tens or hundreds of meg files, it's hard to work on those files while they're constantly syncing to the cloud. That affects production and performance. So what you have to do is set up a system or an environment that allows them to work remotely. And we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit too, kind of referring to Citrix and things like that. Um, so look at your files, understand where they're at, make sure that they're accessible, determine if they need to be accessible and you know, maybe if they need to be moved to the cloud. Popular solutions for moving files to the cloud, we referenced it already, SharePoint document libraries, that's part of 365. OneDrive is part of 365. That's uh, you know, everybody, every user, almost every user I should say, depending on what license you have, has OneDrive um, to them so they can save their files and work that way. Google Apps, Google Drive, um, they obviously have access to a lot of this stuff too. So if your files are stored in Google, um, now I don't even know if I should, should I be calling them Alphabet, it's just Google, it doesn't matter really, uh, or Office 365, you're good. Computers, probably should have addressed this somewhat earlier than we are right now, but Let's say that that, you know, that epidemic happens immediately and the city, the mayor reaches out and, you know, Lightfoot says everybody's got to work from home. Um, do not go in the office. Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago. Yep. Thank you. Um, stay off public transportation. Stay out of your cars. You know, kind of zombie apocalypse type scenario here, right? There's chaos in the streets, if you will. You got to have a little fun with this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can control what you can control, right? <laughs> and then from there, have a smile on your face when you can. So at that point, maybe for some reason, Scott wanted to go home and leave his computer at the office that night. Um, or maybe you have desktops at the office and people don't have laptops that, they're, that are portable and can bring with them. So what do they resort to? These people still need to work. Scott still needs to run these podcasts with me. He still needs to write proposals. He still needs to respond to potential clients and emails, make phone calls, all that stuff. Um, he's got to use his own computer. So this could either go into the policy that you consider when um, you know, validating your, the home services that people have, what type of computer do they have. Um, we'll dig into a little bit on the security side there as well. Um, is it fast enough? Does it have enough hard drive space? If you're syncing files to and from document libraries, so you need to kind of do an assessment of that. Um, then you need, obviously, you need access to the IT services that uh, the business needs to run. So consider how they'll access those apps from the computers at home. Um, 
do they have to install anything? Again, the instructions that I kind of alluded to with the gist, you have to put, compile a document that has instructions for installing these apps and, and, and send those instructions out to people. Um, if not, then, you know, they're not going to really know how to do this. You're going to get a ton of help desk calls. We'll talk about support a little bit too here. Um, if you're in the type of scenario where you work with large files and you have client server based apps, uh, meaning you have you need a computer on the local area network or in the office, I'll say that's the same as the uh, where the servers are stored. So the same physical location where the servers are stored um, and that application won't run well over the internet. You might want to consider a hosted BDI solution where it's kind of like a Citrix or you're connecting to a virtual machine that's in the in the server that you know obviously is connected to where the servers are that are running these applications. Um, but think about the computers that people have at home. Uh, we just talked about this database applications. Some of these are client server based and that's why I kind of wanted to bring this one up. So there's HR, I don't know if they're doing employee reviews or whatever have you. There's finance, people need to get paid, right? If you have an internal, most don't nowadays anyways, but um, if, your finance or accounting department can't access payroll, you're not going to get any productivity out of anybody. Um, so you got to make sure that those things are, uh, that application is accessible remotely. Uh, practice management. So I like to talk about law firms. We work quite a few law firms or accounting firms here um, at Vital Tech. So there's document management solutions. There's docketing program so that attorneys uh, know when filings are due or when court appearances are due. Um, there's a lot of different database applications basically out there. How are those going to be handled when working remotely? Are some of them in the cloud? Are you considering moving some of them in the cloud? You can actually perform a lot of almost, I'd say the majority of IT services in the cloud nowadays. And if you're in the process of transitioning to the cloud, um, in preparation for, you know, pandemic related to the coronavirus. You might want to kick that in gear just to make this a little easier. Um, so is it cloud or is it client server based? Just make sure that things are, are accessible. Um, if your office is not, uh, you know, appropriately, it can't appropriately provide uh, power, cooling, Whatever have you, and it depends. Obviously, if you're in a big building downtown, you should be fine. But if you're not and you don't have access to these things, consider moving those uh, non-cloud-based applications or servers or services that you're running your IT environment to a hosted facility. So, you know, literally just a hosted facility that provides an internet connection. You put a firewall behind it and then you you know rack all of your servers in there and that facility itself should have redundant power redundant cooling redundant internet connections um so that you don't have to worry about anything mechanically breaking or physically breaking um and then you know you have to send somebody over to kind of take a look at it we talked about vpn and again we're still kind of on the high demand services here so we talked a little bit about vpn is it needed is it set up today is it reliable um it, if you have the need to access resources on site, you should have VPN set up. Um, if you don't have it set up today and you know you need it, get it set up. Work with a solution that's very easy to configure. You don't want a solution that when you make a change, you have to touch every single computer and have to reconfigure all the time. 
um, alternatives to VPN. And what VPN does um, is it just provides access from the home computers to wherever the server or database applications or file shares are. Um, so most likely the office or the host facility. Alternatives to VPN are Citrix or remote desktop services. Um, you can set those up, I want to say pretty easily, but you can actually you know, simulate your entire environment uh, through using Citrix remote desktop services. A really good VPN solution that we like here at Vitaltech is CradlePoint. Uh, it's one of the partners of ours. Uh, the reason why we like it is it's just a client. As soon as you launch it, it connects to the internet, it establishes a private tunnel. If there's any changes that are made, if the servers are moved somewhere to another facility, it'll just reestablish that connection. Um, so very cool. Very easy to use. doesn't require uh, any maintenance on the end user side. Um, so I guess I'll get into backups and then I'll get into some other kind of um, you know things to think about here as well. But you still have data. It's still residing somewhere. People can still potentially delete things. Um, don't leave it on site. Move that data if it's really important to somewhere offsite. Uh, and what I mean by leaving it on site, the, specifically the backups, the tapes, the devices themselves, set up your backups so that they're backing up to the cloud because obviously you don't, you know, it's going to be hard to go in the office and change those tapes if you're doing something like that. Um, keep them out there in the cloud. Um, if you don't have backups, keep the backups running and even for the cloud services itself because. People are still going to delete stuff out of 365. They can still delete stuff out of SharePoint document libraries. Um, and you want to make sure that you're still maintaining the backups of that data so that if something happens to it intentional or not, um, uh, you can restore that data. A couple solutions we like that we've been working with on just cloud-based services. Um, so Acronis, uh, Unitrans, both of those are on-prem services that can backup data to the cloud. Spanning, Datto, and Veeam are both cloud-based services. Uh, we actually have Veeam servers spun up in AWS that can reach out back to 365. All right, so a couple other things here. I'll kind of you know wrap up this high demand and then talk about low demand services and kind of move on. But things to consider are visual communication. So again, we talked a little bit about when you're at the office, I can just get up, I can look over to Scott, I can see if he's on the phone, he can, you know, motion to me in some way, shape, or form, whether he's available or not. That could be facial expression or just hand motions, obviously. Um, how do you replicate that? Well, you can't, unless you have a really cool you know, VR solution, you can't really replicate that. But I still am a big you know, advocate of visual communication because I just like to see people's facial expressions as I'm talking to them. If I'm getting the deer in headlights, I'm going to elaborate more. If I'm not getting the deer in headlights, then you know, I'm going to I'll, I'll move on. I'll go quicker. Um, make sure you have something available to, to provide visual communication to each other. Um, specifically, you know, there's cloud-based services. Zoom's really popular. Microsoft Teams has its own. Google has its own. There's a lot of hosted voice, 8x8, the Mitel, they actually have theirs as well. Um, one thing to consider with visual communication is do you need it accessible to your clients as well, to the customers you work with, or is it just internally? So kind of an important thing. Other communication messaging services. So if you don't use a messaging service today where you're just kind of a chatting, you know, fun, any type of chatting functionality, um, text-based chatting functionality within the company, prepping for this remote work, I would say strongly, strongly consider 
using um, some type of other communication or utilizing that to to keep the business running. Um, we use Teams here at Vital Tech, and it's incredibly beneficial. Even if the person next to me I see is on the phone, and maybe I hear that they're jammed up in a conversation, I can very quickly type a quick message to them. Hopefully, it's not too distracting, and and um, help them progress with the conversation. When working remotely, this is going to be huge because people remember you can't look over and see if someone's on the phone or um, interact with them in any other way. So having some type of you know chatting solution like Teams or Slack um, will, will help with this other types of communication. And I, again, I'm just a huge advocate of it because I think it benefits the business in other ways as well. Um, we talked about on-prem hardware. What do you do with it? What if it breaks? Uh, that's the one thing we kind of didn't talk about. So when planning for this, if you have on-prem hardware and you have critical services that are in the office, make sure that they're redundant. Make sure that they have power. Make sure they have cooling. Make sure they have uh, you know, a couple, at least two internet connections um, to, to be accessible remotely because if those things break, the business just won't function. Um, so one thing to consider there is just moving those services to the cloud and working with somebody to do that. Okay, so that's probably the majority of high uh, demand services, you know, those are good examples of what types of services your business has, IT services your business needs or, or uses on a day-to-day -day basis, and um, what to do with them. Hopefully that gives you a good idea. There's also going to be some low demand services that you might want to consider, um, not to pick on, you know, not that this is a marketing company, obviously this would be high demand for a marketing company, but if you have a marketing department, do they need to use Photoshop? Are you really editing a lot of pictures? Maybe your business is, and that's fine. Um, maybe not. So consider letting go of those applications and obviously communicating to those employees. Okay, we'll have to kind of figure something out there. Uh, scanning, does your business scan a lot? Does it need to scan documents and save them somewhere? If so, then people are gonna need, you're gonna need a lot of scanners at people's houses. If not, you know, take a picture with your phone. Is that sufficient? Uh, what can you, you know, do you need that thing there, that device there to, to actually function? Um, there's lots of low demand services and that's where I think it's important just listing these critical services and prioritizing them. So now that you know you've planned and you kind of know what services and what you're going to do with them, there's still a couple more things that we have to consider here. Um, first, and my, our security partner would, would be cursing me if I didn't bring this up, but security. Uh, now all of a sudden your data isn't living where you've had it all these years. Your data is going to be all over the place. And this might be the case if you're working in a distributed fashion today, but if not, um, that could be a little scary. So as part of working from home, there should be kind of just a best practices document that, uh, or communication. It can just be an email. And these are just basic guidelines for how to deal with sensitive data. So don't, don't save stuff locally if you don't have to. Keep it in SharePoint document libraries. Keep it in OneDrive. Um, don't save it on your mobile device. Don't save it on your home computer. So examples of that are you know, best practices for handling sensitive data. Um, and the idea is to just keep that data in the cloud solution and uh, reduce the risk of, of it being exposed somehow or some way in the dark web. Um, home computers may already be compromised. This is something to consider. Um, I forgot what article I was reading, but there was an estimate in 2018 that showed one third of computers worldwide were already infected with mal malware, one third. So 
you have to come up with a plan to address these home computers. You might have to expand your antivirus licensing or see if you can transfer the antivirus licensing from the computers in the office to people's home computers. And then obviously, again, there's instructions for installing that. Um, usernames and passwords for all known applications and services. This is important. A lot of people have usernames and credit, or sorry, have credentials cached on their computer at the office. Well, what happens if you don't have that computer in the office? So make sure your team is prepared um, to, to be able to look up those usernames and passwords so that they know what they are so that when they access these services from an outside computer, um, they can actually answer them, access them. Sorry. Encryption. Um, if you deal with, you know, personal information, if you deal with uh, PHI, if you deal with SEC type compliance, um, any sort of regulation that requires you to, to be, you know, as secure as possible with the information you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, you probably need to encrypt any computer that is accessing and or storing that data. Um, so how can that happen? We like BitLocker, which is included with Windows 10 computers. Um, how do you manage that? How do you turn that on um, on all those home computers? We talked about virus software, enforcing policies on home computers. This is a tricky one. Um, I have some clients that are real strict because they have to be because of compliance and some that aren't. But just consider if you have sensitive data sitting on home computers, and you know that same home computer is accessed by you know a child that plays games could the child click a link in the email and start type, you know giving access to a malicious person give that local computer access to someone who's malicious and um and take data sell in the dark web and, and do god knows what with it so consider enforcing policies and reporting on the computers um, we like intune with 365 it forces pins on specific computers. It enforces strong passwords on computers. Um, we can report on whether or not computers are compliant and they're encrypted or not. So it gives you that pulse on, on how secure your environment is. Uh, infrastructure, we talked about home networks and, and restrict or, uh, uh, requirements for having a home network. Make sure everyone has a firewall um, that's a physical device that connects right behind the internet. Firewalls. Sole, I don't want to say sole purpose, there's a lot of uh, functionality in firewalls, but uh, one of its primary purposes is to prevent malicious people from getting from the outside internet and getting into the inside internet. Um, wireless networks, do people have just open wireless networks? Hopefully not these days. Uh, obviously that's a huge no-no, but make sure that people at home have some kind of password, they're using you know, the best encryption out there, the best uh, public-private key access. Um, for their wireless networks and, and have them work ahead of time on, uh, on getting that set up if they don't. Uh, this might also be a good time to, to review who has access to what. So who has access to what resources, what applications, what files. Um, as you're you know, prioritizing these IT resources and services, um, we like the use principle of least privilege. So if Scott doesn't need access to our client data, then just don't give it to him. I'd rather him ask for it because he needs it uh, and assume that he doesn't. It's much better to, to keep things locked down because there's just a lot less uh, potential risk uh, for what can happen with that data. You might wanna set up an EDR solution, um, specifically endpoint detection and response. And what that does is it really just provides a bunch of logging. So if something does happen, data is compromised, 
uh, computers compromised, the home network's compromised. These are a lot of different networks. Keep in mind, it's not just one confined network in the office that's a little easier to manage. It's, it's you know, tens or hundreds of networks that you have to manage there. So setting up an EDR solution that logs any breaches and can notify IT right away so that they can take action could be important there. Um, last but not least, updates on home computers. You know, it, hopefully with remote access or any kind of solution, you're able to report or push out updates to home computers. Anybody, doesn't matter what kind of operating system you, you have, should be pushing out updates to their computer. You know, all operating systems have security updates and it's really important uh, to make sure that those are out there. Um, training, we talked a little bit about this you know, as we were kind of uh, going through each one of these. Does everyone know how to access everything remotely? Um, if they don't, then we need to create instructions for them or set up something that's a little easier for them to access everything remotely. Um, you can set up a single sign-on. Mostly everything you access is web-based. Uh, single sign-on is kind of like a dashboard for all the different websites and tools that you access. And then you don't have to remember the same password. You just log into the single sign-on solution. Um, click it and uh, you know access each one of the site. Um, publish all the tools if you don't want to set up a single sign-on um, and ensure everyone knows how they can access them. So this can be just a simple document for stuff like that. Costs. Some of this stuff might cost money. Again, you know the antivirus, the infrastructure, moving things to and from the cloud. Um, it, this is just as any business owner, you're going to have to um, assess what the cost is for each one of these that obviously priority kind of comes into play there on what you might want to do with things um, it's going to be a lot of back and forth discussion with IT um, we can do a lot but some things cost a lot <laughs> depending on what you want to do so if uh, if you don't want to do it that's where the back and forth will come in so you can you know push and ask what other options are out there but you might have some restrictions there support so you're gonna have all these different networks. You're gonna need someone to support them and that's totally going to change. You might have somebody on-prem today where he or she can just get up and run to the user's computer and start uh, you know, assisting with or um, fixing any issues that they have. You need to make sure that, or businesses should consider, I should say, setting up remote access to all of the remote work employees' computers. So we use a, a pretty cool solution called Kaseya. We install this immediately when we onboard a new partner, a new customer, and that gives us access to all the computers that we support. Um, it's just way really efficient and effective with supporting people. You'll probably want to do that same thing. Um, at least I'd strongly recommend it with, with people in their home computers. Um, obviously, there's the, the privacy piece there, but um, if you want to be able to work, you're going to need to support these people because they're going to have issues, if not more issues, uh, than they had in the office. Um, so that breaks, you know, that brings up the conversation of if you only have one or two staff on site, should you expand that? Should you augment that staff with more support as people are uh, running into these issues on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, that's important because obviously if you only have one person available to assist with issues as soon as that one person's tied up, tied up he or she might not be able to assist other people. Uh, response time, something to consider. If, uh, you know, if you have that on-prem person and uh, you're kind of used to getting that very quick response, 
and you transition to an outsourced solution, the response times might be adjusted, they might be better, it might be worse, just something to consider. Um, and then lastly, but not least, consider what if something breaks at the house. So we support the majority of our clients, as Scott mentioned, are headquartered in Chicago and they have remote offices all over the United States. Um, if need be, if there's a project or a you know, kind of critical issue, we jump on an airplane and, um, and go to the client. Obviously, there's flight and hotel and travel costs associated with that. Um, but what if something breaks at somebody's house and you can't travel to that person's house? So having somebody in the house who's just familiar with tinkering with things or can kind of be the hands-on um, is always helpful. All right, so you have an idea of, of all of this, you know, what to do with a pandemic. Um, you kind of have your arms around business continuity now and, and you spend a bunch of time prepping for this. Immediately after that happens, just set up a, a test pilot group. You know, see if you can get a group of individuals that frequently work together and, and, and have them work remotely for a period of time. Test this out, test your theory out. You're gonna uncover a lot of things. Um, that you might want to you know, adjust or reapply to any policies, procedures, or software you might want to get as related to it. You might want to set up call forwarding, but actually, I guess, simulate them being at home or have them actually work at home. So set up the call forwarding, give them access to things remotely, um, can, you know, set up their home computers so that they're managed and you can apply policies to them. Um, act as if you know, the pandemic is actually happening and, and see how that goes. So testing is important. All right, we're nearing end here. So recovery. So what happens once this pandemic is over, right? Well, that's a loaded question. Yeah. What do you do? Well, I would like to think that what I'm you... I'm sick of talking, so I'm just going to... Well, yeah, well... But, uh, Not in, sick of it. No, but, but every single thing you just said for the last 15 minutes, you would be better served to say. So I stay out of the way. This, though, is a human approach or from a business professional standpoint, particularly from an owner or managerial standpoint, the recovery process I find incredibly interesting because this was a forced shift. These business owners, small and medium and big, um, they're making these changes. They weren't making these changes for any other reason except because of this pandemic that's been um, spreading throughout society, right? So it threw a curveball and a change of culture to the day-to-day -day work environment. Do you go all the way back? You probably learned something from it. There were probably some effective tactics and tools that I don't think you probably uh, considered enough uh, until your hand was forced through this. In particular, remote. And also, I think the value of security and cloud-based. I think that through this process, for those that have had to enhance remote working, right? Distributed workforce culture. I would like to think that they would see greater value in the cloud. They would see greater value in SharePoint, uh, messaging programs, uh, all different types of uh, data platforms. Uh, and, and, and then you have to start thinking to yourself, do we need this much office space? Yeah. Do we need to have everybody in the office 10 hours a day? Should we start? I mean, how you'll see your performance where you, some offices, some environments, I think having everybody in the offices you alluded to is effective, but do people 
feel less distracted when they're in their own environment? Uh, do you allot for the commute to work? Those are all things that I don't think that they ever, I think they were always default mindsets that now because of this, they're starting to consider our bottom line, was it better off having people have, whether it was autonomous or not, uh, are we better off keeping some of these tenants? Yeah, I mean, so there's, there's effects from this that just pertain to the business, right? Was it a good thing? Did productivity go up? Should we be considering this as a permanent or part-time you know, solution or offering for employees? Um, this could be the future of working. But what if you don't and you actually have to move it back? And this is where those questions, you know, you might have to strongly consider more so. So now you have all this data that people have been working off of for some period of time. Um, you have to move it back. You have to integrate it back into the old solution. So if you moved files to SharePoint and now everyone's come back in the office, do you have to move it back? Do you need to move it back? Um, how do you move it back? There's versioning issues. There's a little bit of you know, access control that may have changed. So you need to review permissions and go back and, and change them. So you know, we could probably spend another hour just talking about those things alone. I won't, I won't you know, take any more time, but have a plan for that. And, and I guess to Scott's point, consider, you know, do a recap of working remotely and consider if you need to actually move the data back or, or remove this distributed workforce from your day-to-day -day business. A lot of stuff. Obviously, we're a proponent of leaning on your managed IT provider through this process. Use technology to your advantage. And know, at least from the Viotech standpoint, in the Chicagoland area, we care and we love to help. We want to use our resources and our expertise to help you grow your business. And in this instance, on today's podcast, in terms of protecting and preparing best for the coronavirus, we want you to feel safe and secure. Sean, thank you. Wash your hands, everyone.